Sharing and Zimmer. And hello there. We're back again with Zuring and Zimmen. Across from me is Dominic Zimmen, singer, musician, and psychology student here in Northern Germany. He made it to the semifinals of the German equivalent of America's Got Talent. We're doing a podcast together. Today, we've got a special episode. We already had three episodes. I think um, this one might be a little bit different because in the last episodes, we talked about love. We talked about um, new beginnings. We talked about music. And today... We are talking about something that happened just yesterday for the listeners or today for today us. for us, yeah. Because um, you, Jens, um, are the main character in a Netflix series that was released today. and um, Till murder do us part, Zuring versus Hasten. Yes, and to be honest, today I spent four hours um, watching this show, watching all four episodes. Tam, you'll never get back, Dominic. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and to be honest, I, I think there are a lot of impressions and thoughts I would like to talk with you about. Um, so today may be a little bit kind of a different episode because today is going to be specifically about this Netflix series um, because I think there is a lot that you probably want to tell us about it and a lot of questions I have that I want to ask you. Yeah, um, that's what we're here for. I guess you um, might as well start with me saying a few good things. This will be the last time in this episode that I'll be saying anything positive about the Netflix series. So let me get that out of the way. I think um, the first three and a half episodes, three and three quarters episodes are perfectly okay. I was a little disappointed because they, they left some things out that I thought were important. But overall, you know, the first three hours, three and a half hours, three and three quarters hours um, is, is pretty much okay. They even did some good things. One of the things that they did pretty good, pretty well, I thought, was that they um, really focused on the fact that Elizabeth Hasem must have been at the crime scene and participated um, in this horrible crime. And I think, you know, I think that's been clear to many, many, many people for a very, very long time. Uh, you know, there's so much forensic evidence that speaks against her. And, um, of course, then in 2016, she gave that newspaper interview in which she said, you know, she basically gave herself a really strong motive for committing this crime. In 2016, she gave an interview in which she said, that she had lied at my trial, she had lied at her trial, when she denied that there was sexual abuse by her mother. And now, in 2016, she was willing to say for the first time openly that she had been sexually abused by her mother for eight years, and she said that that was the motive for the crime. And of course she said that I did it, but she always says that. But I tend to believe her that that was the motive for the crime, but not for me. Uh, sexual abuse is a really strong motive for her. And they do bring that up in the Netflix series as well. Yes, and I think, I think I, they did this well. I think that's what, that's what they did well in the Netflix series. They showed what the motive was. And, you know, they, they actually have somebody in the Netflix series who says that Nancy and Derek Hasem were against our relationship, mm -hmm. right? Yes. 
those those people were in court at my trial in 1990 and they didn't say it then <laughs> oh. okay i mean nobody at my trial testified that derek and nancy hasten were against our relationship it just wasn't a subject i mean they couldn't find a witness to confirm this and the prosecutor tried he tried really really hard to find a witness anybody who could say yes i heard derek and nancy hasten say that they hated jens and they were against the relationship but there were zero witnesses at my trial. There were a lot of friends of the Hasems who testified at my trial against me on other points. And of course, all the family members of the Hasems were in court. Nobody at my trial said that they heard Nancy and Derek Hasem say that they were against our relationship. So that wasn't actually the motive. We hadn't made that up. It was a lie. The real motive is suggested in the Netflix series, which is the sexual abuse, and that's also what Elizabeth Hasem said in a newspaper interview in 2016. So I think that's one of the good things out of the Netflix series. But then, of course, they kind of ruined it all in the last seven minutes, mm. which I think just absolutely are ridiculous and suck. Yes, to be honest, um, I've seen um, other documentaries about your case, and mm -hmm. I've also read some, um, for example, the Chuck Reed report. Yes, which was um, also released today, the Chuck Reed report was published today in German and in English. Chuck Reed was the original lead investigator in this case. Uh, he investigated the case for the entire first seven months from the discovery of the crime on April 3rd till the end of the year. He was the senior investigator for the Beckford County Sheriff's Department on this case, and he has now written a 170-page long report. The German version is 171 pages. I don't know why it's one page longer. <laughs> um, but yeah, so he, he's, he's published a report and it's, it's out today. And you, you read a, a, a pre-release copy. Yeah, exactly. And um, I'm, he, he's also in the show, right? Mm -hmm. The Netflix series, right. Okay. Um, so yeah, well, when I watched the series, um, as you said, the, the first three and a half hours, I was, it was what I expected. It was cinematic. It was a little bit more... Um, Netflix-like than probably other documentaries, so they casted um, two um, actors who played you and Elizabeth, but with blurred faces. And yeah. I'm, I met the young man who plays me in the series um, at, a, at a public event. I, I work as a, a speaker as well in Germany, and I actually met him at one of my speaking events, and uh, he introduced himself as Jens Zuring to <laughs> me, which was really weird. Uh, yeah, and, does, and, does he look like you? I no, mean, he's don't really see him. right because his face is pixeled out. And I feel really bad for him because he's actually a really nice guy. And the hilarious thing is, is that he is, and I mean, I'm saying this as a totally straight guy. Mm -hmm. Okay, please, nobody misunderstand me. But this, the guy who plays me in the Netflix series, when his face is not pixelated, is incredibly good looking. <laughs> right, and I, I wasn't then, and I'm not now. So I don't know why they picked him. Um, it's really funny. Yeah, but yeah, so they, 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 there's a lot of that in the Netflix yeah. series. Um, these actors who roll around on the bed kissing and they're reading the letters. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was honestly, I was afraid um, that they would uh, read those um, more sexual letters you wrote back then and maybe have some nude scenes. Um, okay, let me clarify that, okay? It was Elizabeth Hasem who wrote a really long, frankly, pornographic letter which is in one of my books, which I've just actually turned into an audiobook. I've just finished 
doing an audio book of this. It's called, it's available in German and in English. The English version is called Love, Sex, Murder, the real-life romance between Elizabeth Hasem and Jens Zering. And that's available, you know, everywhere you can get audiobooks. It's like it's on Apple audiobooks and on Google Play and wherever, right? And Spotify. So you can, and in that book, there is this really long pornographic letter of Elizabeth. But there isn't one, there isn't a long pornographic letter from me. So you're not going to hear my side mm -hmm. of the sex thing in the audiobook. And you don't get it in the Netflix series either. Thank goodness. Okay, but um, anyways, I was a little bit um, impressed of these pictures because when you first told me what was probably going to happen, um, I was thinking like, oh, this is going to be weird in some way if somebody else is playing you, but you also mm -hmm, yeah. see that it's not you. Um, I, I think, think that's why they pixelated him, yeah, right? Yeah. I, so I think it was done in, a, in an elegant way. And so I, the first three and a half hours, I was quite... Um, I was okay with the series, how, how they pointed things out and stuff. Yeah. Um, and, and had some good things. In the first three and a half hours, yes. they had some good things. Yeah, I but agree. Then the last seven minutes are just very confusing and very new. They are also very interesting because it's suddenly out of out of nowhere there's a new theory about what happened that night. And it's 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 something that I had strong feelings about. And something that really made me listen, um, because suddenly you think, "Oh my God, did they do it together?" Right. I mean, I'm 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 pretty good with this case, and I knew right away. Wait, this doesn't make sense, and hmm, this all. How should they have done it? But maybe we could elaborate Talk about on that, that a little bit. I think I think actually you make a really good point. That right at the very very end of this series, there comes this big surprise, yes. right? And I think that's why they did it like that. They wanted that surprise. You just mentioned that there was already a long documentary series, a four-part series that had already been made. It's called Killing for Love, which is no longer available. Netflix took it off the market. Um, you can't get it anymore, except on DVD. But you can't get it on streaming anymore. And the other podcasts and books and every other darn thing about the series. And... So they really didn't have anything new to say in the Netflix series. And I think, this is just my opinion, that's why they stuck this weird little ending on the back of the series. Until the last seven minutes, it was pretty much same old, same old. Mm. You know, we'd seen this pretty much all before, you know, except maybe they were better on putting Elizabeth at the crime scene. But basically it was... Not a surprise. But then, that are the last seven minutes, big surprise, big shock. And I think that was, it's my belief, it's a commercial decision to give the viewers a surprise ending. Because otherwise, at the end of that series, if you cut away the last seven minutes, viewers are going to say, yeah, that was all right. Mm. But we've seen all that before, yeah. all right? And so that's it's an artificial ending. And then, of course... It is just pure BS. Mm -hmm. And I want to say that a lot of cops have looked at this case. Mm -hmm. And all of the cops, whether they believe I'm guilty or they believe I'm innocent, all of the cops are absolutely sure one of the two of us stayed in Washington, D.C. We did not drive there together. 
And so what the series is basically saying, the producers, the directors, the Netflix series are saying, we know better than all the law enforcement officers, whether they're for Jens or against Jens. There's a couple of cops who are against me, right? Ricky Gardner and Terry Wright. There's six cops who are for me, Chuck Reed, Chip Harding, Richard Watson, Stan Lapikas, Andy Griffiths, and Dave Watson. In case you're wondering, half of the cops who were for me did not appear in the Netflix series. And that's another subject which I'm kind of sore about. But all of these cops, there's eight cops. The prosecutor, nobody believes that we went and did this together other than Netflix. So that should make you really wonder right? That should really, really make you question. And then, of course, there's evidence as well. Maybe you want to talk about that. But it's the fact that none of the professionals involved in the case believe this stupid theory. That should make you wonder. So Netflix, um, they are make they are telling us maybe, just maybe, both of you um, went to the crime scene. You bought these um, cinema tickets Before that, so you bought them around 15, 16 o'clock, I think, in, in yeah. the US. You probably we, we call it three, three, 3 p.m. to 4 p.m. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Dominic speaks excellent English, but he's German. Yeah, so yeah, you, you know I, how I, they are in Germany. But, but so they say you, you probably bought them <laughs> yeah. then. Earlier. You went there together, you slaughtered them together, and then you came back yeah. together. So there's a, couple, there's, a, there's a couple of things about that, which... I find really upsetting, right? Um, there's clear evidence against this. And I actually gave one of the two Netflix directors an envelope with the original documents that my lawyer gave me in 1991, which I still have now because he sent it back to me. But he had this envelope with the original documents from 1991, um, which are now 32 years old, okay? And he had these documents for months. And he dis obviously they decided to ignore these documents, even though they proved that this theory cannot be true. After my trial, my lawyer located the manager of one of the movie theaters where one of the two of us, okay, went, it was me, but one of the two of us went to see this movie. And back then, this is 1985, This particular movie, this, this, the film was called Stranger Than Paradise. A Jim Jarmusch, black and white movie, kind of cult classic. You can still see it. Uh, um, yeah, it's, it's, it was Screaming Jay Hawkins does this great song, I Put a Spell on You, in yeah, this movie. We, uh, we talked about that in exactly. our third episode. <laughs> um, anyway, at this movie theater, the tickets, the numbers on the tickets are printed out sequentially, regardless of the time and regardless of which movie it is. So this movie theater manager still had the computer printout that he had. These are basic computers, not like today's computers, but he had the printout of the ticket numbers from that particular night. And he had the ticket stubs. And he could tell from the ticket stubs and from his printout, when were these tickets bought? And, you know, this is not scientific, but he could say these tickets were bought between 8 p.m., and 10.15 p.m., for sure. Somewhere between 8 p.m. and 10.15 p.m., these tickets were bought. That's an ironclad alibi, okay? For somebody, 
one of the two of us had to be in Washington, D.C. between 8 p.m. and 10, 15 p.m. And again, Netflix director, one of the two of them, had that envelope for months and he just ignored this. And I find that really upsetting. And um, that's not all. They also, of course, have the entire trial transcript. And the hotel manager testified about the room service bill. In the, in the Netflix series, they say, well, they could have ordered room service at 4 o'clock. The hotel manager clearly testified at my trial on the witness stand, not possible. The earliest that, they, that somebody, it was me, but the earliest that somebody ordered room service was at 5.30 p.m. because the dinner menu only went into effect at 5.30 p.m. So you couldn't even order anything before then. So if we had ordered this at 5.30 p.m., right, it would have had to be, the food would have to be prepared, delivered to the room, and signed for, right? So that we couldn't have even left before 6 p.m., and it was a four-and-a-half-hour drive at 55 miles an hour. Back then was the speed limit. It would have taken four-and-a-half at night too, right? Don't forget, four-and-a-half to five hours to get to Bedford County, and that's too late, yeah, for this crime to have happened, because you could tell from the crime scene, the victims drank alcohol with the perpetrators and had a snack with them or him before the crime happened. So this crime did not happen at 11 p.m. It just, you know, that's not what happened. And, and in addition to that, the room, the hotel manager said that the room service order um, was the last one for the day. And they closed the account at 11 p.m. And since this was the last order for the day, his guess is this was pretty close to 11 p.m. Somewhere in the, you know, 10 to 11 p.m. range is when that order was placed. And again, that's an ironclad alibi. Somebody ordered the room service, and the prosecutor agreed with this. It's in the trial transcript. He clearly agrees that this room service order was placed in the middle of the evening, between 10 and 11, somewhere in that range. And that's what the hotel manager's testimony is, and it's his trial transcript. So the theory the room service could have been ordered at 4 p.m. is provably not true. Why they decided to do this in the Netflix series, I can only guess, but my guess is, is that they wanted an interesting ending, and they didn't yeah. have one, so they invented one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Does that make you angry? Does it disappoint you? Yeah, yeah. I'm a human being, you know. I know, I know. I mean, it's look, I'm not the victim here. The victims here are Derek and Nancy Hazen, who died a horrible death for no good reason. And after I found out about this crime, which was hours later, I made a terrible decision to lie to the police about this crime, and which was wrong. So I'm not a victim. I should have told the truth. And I, I, I didn't tell the truth until years later. But I am a human being. I'm a human being who spent 33 years in prison for a crime he didn't commit. And then at the very, very end of this horrible, long ordeal, I was hoping for a pardon, a clear statement that I'm innocent. And I didn't get that. I was only released on parole. And of course, naturally, I wanted the world to understand the truth, to hear my story, and to look at the evidence and give me a fair 
judgment that I did not get from the courts and that I did not get from the governor. I'm grateful that the governor released me, but he should he should have declared me innocent, right? You also you also told me once that you thought about not accepting that release. Yes. And uh, trying to keep on fighting. Yes, that's true. Um, I was told that I would be. I, I was told on November the twenty fifth in the afternoon, late afternoon, November twenty fifth, that uh, my pardon petition had been denied, but that I'd be released on parole. And th that night, they, I was able to make a phone call from this cell that they put me in uh, for the last night in prison. And I actually talked to somebody who's deeply involved in the case, and I don't want to name who he is. Mm. But I told him, look, I'm, I'm thinking about refusing parole, just staying and making the governor give me a pardon, right? And so this, this man, this person told me, don't do that. Don't be stupid, right? Accept half a victory. Come out of prison, We'll deal with everything else later, but get out, get out of prison. And so I followed his advice, and it was probably the right advice. But the end result of that was is that I came out, and of course, I felt this injustice that they had released me without acknowledging my innocence. And I wanted to do something about it. And so I agreed to participate in this Netflix series because... I was told I could trust these people. I was obviously wrong to trust them. Um, but I was told I could trust these people. And um, yeah, I trusted the wrong people. I trusted the wrong people. So what were your hopes when you decided to take part in this, um, in this series? Was it like money? Was it No, because pain? surprise, surprise, <laughs> the people don't understand this, right? You don't get paid for interviews. And th that includes the Netflix interview. I mean, I, 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 when, I, when my book was released here in Germany, I did a lot of interviews and people think I got paid for them too. You don't get paid for interviews. They pay for your, your travel expenses and your hotel. They do not pay for interviews. And I did not get paid for the Netflix interviews. And I did, I think, like 18 hours worth of interviews or something crazy like that. I'd, I think the, the second interview was 10 hours, I believe. But I believe the first one was either six or eight hours. So I did a, a lot of interviews with them. And... Um, No, I did this because I am innocent. I did not kill Derek and Nancy Hasem. And I wanted people to know that. And I still want people to know that. And I thought I could trust the Netflix series to, yeah, tell the story. And tell it correctly and tell it fairly. There are things that speak against me. Okay, And I, of course, they, sh they should be in any book. or uh, you know, Chuck Reed in the Chuck Reed Report does this as well. You know? There are things that speak against me, and they should be put out there, okay? The letters are weird, okay? Mm -hmm. I gave a confession. It's some of the details in the confession are correct, right? Th these are all things that should be said. But if you, I'm confident if people look at the totality of the evidence in an objective way, they'll come to the conclusion that I should not have been convicted. Some people will, some people will say, He's completely innocent, and other people will say there's, you know, there's reasonable doubt, and I, I, I live with either one of them. Of course, I am actually innocent. I understand that some people will not go quite that far. They will only say that there's a reasonable doubt, um, and I'll have to accept that because that's a, to, you know, that's that. I think that's fair. But to say that he could have done it, he could have not done it, and maybe they did it together. That's BS. It's just BS and it's just not right.
Yeah, I mean, I mean, you have the evidence that this is not possible. I mean, the story of you, both of you going there is just yeah, nonsense. Yeah, I think it is nonsense. We can ex really exclude mm -hmm. that one. Um, and then you really left with it. You know, you left with a choice whether um, Elizabeth did it with somebody, somebody else. else mm -hmm. uh, and I don't know who that might be or that I did it. Um, but it's not possible. And I think, again, that's one of the things they did well in the Netflix series, right? Clearly was more than one perpetrator at the crime scene. And of course, the cops should have known that from the very beginning that Ricky Gardner, who, God bless his soul, should have paid attention at school because I gave him a confession, a false confession, with three people in it. I told him I killed Derek and Nancy Hasem. Not true, but that's what I said. Yes. So... Logically, there should have been three blood groups at the crime scene. But at the very time that I gave him this story, he knew, because he had a forensic report of August the 12th, 1985, I remember the date, right? Saying that there were four blood groups at the crime scene. So he should have known from the very get-go, the story I'm listening to from Jens Zuring cannot be true because he's telling me a story with three people and there are four blood groups at the crime scene what he should have said to me is thank you mr zering try again because i'm not buying that one but i think he was so happy and so excited to solve the case to be the hero right and he's like oh my god thank god he said he did it right i'll just let me write it down real quick and you know five days later i was indicted And he testified about this at my trial. For them, the case was over with the indictment. And after that point, they did no further investigation. They never checked whether my confession was true. And, you know, that's basically, you need to do that if you're a cop. You get a confession, you check whether it's true. And they never did that. Not at all. And that's not me saying that. It's Ricky Garner testifying at my trial. He specifically said, I did nothing further on this case after he gave his confession. That was it. And five days later, I was indicted, and that was done. So, you know, that, that's not grown-up police work. <laughs> yeah. As you said, you didn't get any money out of it. You probably didn't for the fame or something. You did it because you wanted justice or at least people to see you in a different light or to get to know you and the case probably better. Do you think this is something that has happened now? No, no. Not at all? Not at all, not at all. I have to live in this society and I have to earn my living here. And that depends on people being willing to accept me. And I'm afraid that Uh, this Netflix series will make it very difficult for me to live here and um, to earn a living here. Yeah, that's something that worries me because, you know, I'm not rich. Where am I supposed to be rich from, yeah. right? Um, um, I didn't get a compensation, you know, and that's, that's, you know, I think that's actually one of the reasons why they didn't give me a pardon. Mm. Um, because of the money. Well, it's part of it, right? In Virginia, if I had been received a full pardon, I would have been able to apply for $1.4 million compensation. And that's not that much money, right? But the governor's enemies could have used that as a weapon against him in the next election. 
the governor was a Democrat. And if the Democrat says I'm innocent and then gives me $1.4 million, the Republicans are going to say, that's what you get when you elect Democrats. They're going to give a lot of money to this horrible guy living in Germany who goes around Virginia killing people, right? And if the parties had been the other way around, it would have happened the other way around. That's the way things work in the United States. Everything is turned into a political issue. And I think the governor was just very reluctant to expose himself to that criticism, right? Um, because every decision is weaponized politically in the United States. So it's not so much the money. It's what that would have been turned into in a political arena. And especially in Virginia, but really throughout the United States, there's actually a really good article on this in USA Today Many victims of wrongful convictions are released on parole without a pardon because that's the painless way to do it. There's no compensation. You don't have to admit you made a mistake. But they really like doing this in Virginia. There's really three famous Virginia cases, Darnell Phillips, Diane Fleming, and Emerson Stevens, right? All three of them innocent. All three of them released on parole only without a pardon. I think Emerson Stevens, years and years later, ended up getting a pardon. But he wasn't released on a pardon. He was released on parole. And again, Darnell Phillips still hasn't gotten a pardon. Diane Fleming still hasn't gotten a pardon. And me, I still haven't gotten a pardon, even though we're all innocent, but we just got paroled. Are you still trying to get a pardon? Yes, I actually filed for a pardon um, about two and a half months ago. On August the 4th, I filed a new pardon petition based on the new examination of the DNA data by Professor McClintock. He's actually in the Netflix series, right? Oh. And one of the things that I really is, think is pretty bad in the Netflix series, they left out a lot of stuff, okay? They, they left out a lot of stuff. FBI profile, um, the fact that Elizabeth briefly confessed to committing the crime. None of this is in the Netflix series. But the thing that bothers me the most is that Professor McClintock, who is in episode four, returned to the Department of Forensic Sciences in the summer of 2022, and he actually looked at the raw data of the DNA tests. And this is the first time this had been done ever, and they had a, an employee of the Department of Forensic Sciences with him, and they looked at this together that he was able to determine from the raw data that the blood samples used for the DNA tests were not mixed or contaminated. Because, you know, DNA tests, you cannot necessarily trust DNA tests, because the, especially in a situation like that in Virginia, because the, the samples might have been mixed or contaminated. Mm -hmm. And that has to be cleared up, yes. right? Didn't they even talk about it in the series? Um, uh, very briefly, very briefly, but what they didn't tell the viewers is that this issue was resolved completely once and for all last summer. On August the 1st, 2022, Professor McClintock examined the raw data, and I gave the Netflix producers his report, and of course they interviewed him. Yeah, I mean, he was in the series. He was in the series. He was used as an example of, of, of science. Yes, but they didn't let him say this, yeah. which is... The DNA test results are absolutely 100% reliable because no mixture, no contamination. And I asked them, why aren't you including Professor McClintock? And 
you know, the way I understood the answer, based on my question, the way I understood the, their answer was that they thought, according to my understanding, this is too complicated for mm. the viewers, which, you know, was it too complicated for you? Well, no, I mean, there are some complicated things in this case. I mean, it's... But not that, right? Well, it's it, it might, I mean, DNA is not that simple, but... It isn't. But but you don't have to understand every single part of DNA tests um, to understand um, that this is a thing that really changes the whole perspective on the case. Yes, and and the fact that the DNA test results are reliable, right? There's there's some guy there um, who who says, well, you know, it really doesn't prove anything. Not true. It's definitely not true that it doesn't prove anything. And Professor McClintock. You know, he did this this re-examination of the raw data specifically to eliminate that argument. And it's just not true that it doesn't prove anything. It's definitely blood at the crime scene from somebody else, not me. It's only a partial profile, so it cannot be identified. But there's no DNA at all from me at the crime scene. None. And there is DNA of at least one, possibly two unidentified people at the crime scene. Depends on how you look at it. Um, and that's not in the Netflix series. How could they leave that out? Yeah, it's too complicated, right? It's too complicated. Or or we want to lead viewers to the surprise ending, yeah. which is that Jens and Elizabeth did it together. And then we have to make the DNA look questionable. Mm -hmm. Because if the DNA is really clear, and it is really clear, then the theory with the, you know, Elizabeth and I doing it together just doesn't work. Yeah. It just doesn't work because then there'd have to be like three of us there, right? Elizabeth and me and this other dude who left his blood there, right? Yeah, and somebody who bought the cinema tickets oh, and God, ordered yeah. everything. So. We're half a dozen people now, right? Yeah, you know? exactly. So it's like, it's such a huge conspiracy. You know, it's, it's like, you know, the Freemasons were involved and the mafia yeah, and, you know, everybody. God knows. Um, I don't know. It's, it's, you know, key fact about this case this crime happened on March 30th. That was the 20th birthday of Jim Farmer, who was a fellow student at the University of Virginia and, according to Elizabeth, gave her drugs, sold her drugs. Yeah? Colloquially, drug dealer. Right? He was later arrested out west for drugs, and in her letters she writes about getting drugs from this guy. Mm -hmm. And this guy's birthday party was in Lynchburg, a couple of miles away from the Hastings residence on that night. And I think it just clearly makes sense to me, just from a standing outside of the case, speaking not as Jens Zering, right? Yes. That Elizabeth Hasem would want to go to this party with her drug dealer buddy and score some free drugs because it's his birthday, so he's likely to give away some drugs for free right? Mm. And then something bad happened, right? But I'm not a druggy type, you know? I, you know, so I'm not the one who went to Jim Farmer's drugified birthday party, which was around the corner from the Hasem's residence on March the 30th. And that birthday party, to me, is the, that's where the solution to this case is, mm. I think, in, at that birthday party. And we'll never know because Jim Farmer died years ago. I think he died like nine years ago. And of course, Jim Farmer's father is a judge in Lynchburg. 
So nobody's going to look too hard. Nobody's going to look too hard. And of course, they've got somebody who's guilty already, and that's me. And if, you've, if, if I'm guilty, nobody has to investigate anything because we've solved the case. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's also it's convenient the with the pardon and stuff. That yes. As they, soon as, as, as they say you're not guilty, they need to pay you something. And they, they need to investigate. They need to release you. And they need to find the killer because somebody is out there who has killed two people and has never been convicted for that. Yes, that's right. That's right. Because if that person had been convicted for another crime, then his or her blood, well, it's a male. We know it's, it's XY chromosomes, A, B, X, Y, right? Um, you, you have to look at my DNA videos on my YouTube channel to understand what I just said, A, B, X, Y. It'll be clear. Um, all the documents are attached below. Uh, point is, <laughs> um, the point is, when somebody's arrested for a crime in the United States, his, D his, his DNA profile is put into the DNA data bank and you can find somebody, right? But if you've never been arrested for another crime, then your DNA is not in the DNA data bank and you can't find that person. It's just not possible, right? And, um, and of course, that's another thing. You have to have an open investigation You cannot just run somebody's DNA against the DNA data bank. You could only do that with an open file. But this file is closed because I didn't get a pardon. So, you know, it's, it's basically hopeless. It's, you know, unless they were to pardon me, they couldn't even check the DNA profiles. So it's, yeah. What do you think are the chances that you'll ever get a pardon? Um... I'm, there's a new governor in Virginia, mm -hmm. Glenn Youngkin, and he says he's different. And this is the place where you can prove it, okay? Um, my pardon petition, my new pardon petition, is based on Professor McClintock, mm -hmm. who is at Liberty University, okay? Yeah. Which is in Lynchburg, and it's, you know, it's it's part of the Falwell um, uh, empire there. So I believe uh, Professor McClintock would be somebody whom Prof uh, Governor Yunkin would trust, right? Um, and I would just really ask somebody on Governor Yunkin's staff, right? Just talk to Tom McClintock. Tom McClintock has spent way over 100 hours on this case. And um, incidentally, I have, you know, it's, it's been sometimes said that I paid off Tom McClintock to li tell lies for me, right? Professor McClintock received a one-time symbolic payment of $200, mm. which you have to do to establish a legal relationship between the lawyer and the scientist, right? Yeah. They, they, they always do this, okay? But he spent over 100 hours on the case, so he's basically been earning like two dollars an hour or at this stage a buck 50 an hour okay on this case so he's not doing it for the money right but i would ask somebody on governor yunkin's staff please talk to professor mcclintock he will walk you through the dna evidence and at the end of that conversation right it's clear there's nothing of mine no dna of mine at crime scene but there is dna of one possibly two unknown men at the crime scene and if that's true you kind of got to give me a pardon if you got to be a little bit fair about it right you know and 
Of course, I always hope that there's some basic fairness left out there in the world. Do you still believe in it? Um, if there's one thing I've learned, um, fairness is an ideal that's worth striving for. It's worth having as a goal. Um, and it's, but it's rarely achieved. It's, it's rarely reached. And that's bitter. It's, it's, that's a bitter insight, you know, how hard it is. Even here in Germany, you know, I, I thought I could trust, I, I come back from America, right? And I don't blame Americans for this wrongful convictions, okay? Fact is, this was a horrible crime. And then I lied to the police about the crime. So that back in 1990, that they convicted me in Bedford County, I can, I can, I can kind of understand it especially since they didn't have DNA back then, right? But now it's like 30 years, 30 plus years later, we do have DNA and I had hoped to be treated more fairly by this production company that made this documentary for Netflix. And the ir irony is, is that it's a German production company that made it for Netflix. It's from Cologne. Yeah. So these are my countrymen, right? And I thought they would at least treat me fairly. And, and again, most of the Netflix series, I think they did a pretty good mm -hmm. job with that. But these last seven minutes, man, they really, that's, that's not fair. Because, you know, again, I never got a chance to answer these charges. They, they interviewed me between 16 and 18 hours. So they had plenty of time to ask me, hey, Jens, did you do this together with Elizabeth? They never asked me. They never gave me a chance to answer. Yeah, so. And that's just not fair. That is not fair, folks. That's not fair. I mean, yeah, it isn't at all. But it didn't, couldn't, couldn't you expect something like that when you go to um, a platform that sells through drama and sells through stories? And maybe... Um, yeah, but you know, th this is going to sound like a lame excuse, right? Mm. I know it's going to sound like a lame excuse, but guess what? They don't have Netflix in prison, mm -hmm. right? Well, I spent not 33, uh, not, well, maybe they do in Germany, but not in America. I went into prison when I was 19. I came out when I was 53, right? And I could, I had a very good radar, sixth sense with other prisoners. I could tell pretty much straight away who I could trust, who was lying to me. But people out here in the real world, the free world, I didn't understand them. I made, I trusted a lot of the wrong people when I came out. In my personal life, I trusted some of the wrong people. In the legal arena, I trusted some of the wrong people. And also in the, you know, the Netflix, the film arena, I trusted some of the wrong people. And it's because I didn't yet have the experience to be able to you know, understand the motives of other people in this world, mm. I was so used to prisoners, yeah. and so I, I, I made it, I made some mistakes after my release here in Germany, and one of the worst mistakes was trusting these people in Cologne, who um, sold, as they say in America, sold me a bill of goods. Right? They 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 were very persuasive and they seemed nice, and I fell for it, and. It's so it's so ironic because of course that's you know when you come into prison they always warn you you know mm. don't trust anybody yeah. right 
And I come out of prison and, and I, I trusted people yeah. because I had this idea in my head, right? All the bad people are in prison and all the good people are out here. So I can trust everybody. And I've learned that this is not true. Dominic, this is going to be a harsh thing to say, but I made it through 33 years in prison and I was not harmed by any other prisoner during those 33 years. And since my release, I've been hurt really badly in, by different people out here. I've been really badly hurt. Maybe because you started to trust some people. Because I started to trust some people. And that, that advice that they give you in, when you go into prison, you know, don't trust anybody. Yeah. Um, I didn't follow that advice when I came out of prison because I thought the good people are out here. But the good people are not out here. Um. <laughs> well, yeah, but, but, but I mean, every time you, you, you trust somebody or trust something. Yeah, there's then, always a chance you're going to get disappointed. Yeah, because, um, of course, if, if, you, if, if you don't trust anything, like when you're in prison, then you can't be disappointed because your expectations are so low. What's really funny is that this is exactly the kind of thing that I say when I do my coachings. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, I work as a coach, um, as, um, you know, I'm now also doing online coachings in America. Um, but it's funny because, you know, I'm, I work in the area of resilience, you know, how to overcome hardships. There's a seven-step process that mm -hmm. you have to go through. Yeah. And maintaining the capacity for trust, right, and reaching out to others, um, I think it's number four, right? It's, it's like, you know, it's absolutely essential. Yeah. And, and I, you know, the funny thing is I always did that when I was in prison, I was very careful whom I trusted, but I always looked if there's somebody who I could trust a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. And there were. There were prisoners who I could trust. Here in the free world, it's no different. You have to reach out no matter how many times you've been hurt, no matter how many times you've been disappointed, you still have to try because that's what makes us humans I think, is relationships. Mm. And, and you, your work as a psychologist, I'm sure you, know, you could tell me more about this than I could you. But I, I, it feels to me like we really only become human through other human beings. We, you know, it's, it's not possible to be human in isolation by yourself. One last thing I wanted to ask you is um, you've been fighting for... 33 years in prison to um, for, for freedom. Yeah. And no, maybe, for, maybe justice. for justice. Yeah. For, for both, maybe. Now you're still fighting for um, for justice or for being seen as the person you want to be yes. seen as. Have you ever thought about? And and I think after prison, it 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 didn't it didn't really get easier for you. So you didn't no. choose to uh, <laughs> no. just. Uh, I don't know, get um, get away from everything and just leave everything behind and just uh, chill every yeah. day. Um, do you think there will come a point where you will stop fighting for the your picture in the media or maybe for yeah. the justice because uh, you prefer the inner peace? See, th that's a good question, but for me, right... I would like to leave it all behind, this whole, whole case, which I find really boring, okay, by now. I've, I've been dealing with this for so long. I'm not interested, okay? But that's, what, that's why I did this Netflix series. I had hoped the Netflix series would be like 
a fair portrayal. Maybe I wouldn't like everything, but on the whole, I could live with it. And then I could just tell people from then on, right? Um, you know what? I don't want to talk about it. Go watch the Netflix yeah. series. And, you know, it's 90% accurate. Go watch that. That's what I was hoping for, right? And that I could finally make a kind of cut, right, with, with this part of my past. At least the, the legal aspects, the case, right? Mm. But now that it's been unfairly presented in this Netflix series, um, that door is closed for me. I cannot do that. I'm, I'm not going to accept that Netflix series as... Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not... I'm that's not the last word. Yeah, no, that's not the last word. So there's a new podcast out. It's also launched today. It's called The, uh, the Jens Zuring Case. A new verdict, mm. right? It's a new podcast um, with a German judge who looks at all the evidence, right? So, you know, I'm fighting and I'm not going to stop fighting. But maybe it, I, I wish for you that at some point you will find um, like, like the last word or something yeah. that can probably give you a little bit of peace because I feel like after or what, what you told me the last four years weren't that much of peace for you no, and probably no. after after your very um i don't know dramatic life there will be a point where you can just let go because it's 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 done yeah you know? i hope so dominic i hope so dominic i'm maybe with i hope years. so <laughs> yeah check back with me in another 33 years yeah um so i think that's it for today right yeah mm -hmm. i think so as well thank you a lot i think we'll probably get back to this um topic because I don't think it's over. I don't think um, that with the broadcasting of the series, mm -hmm. the whole theme or the the um, topic will be done because there's going to be a lot in the media. There's going to be a lot of reactions. We don't know what's going to come. I'm right. um, looking forward to see you next week to talk about that. And um, probably at some point when the storm is a little bit calmer, we can go back to the topics of yeah. music and love and... The good topics. Or the real, yeah, the real topics. Yeah, we got to talk. I, I want to talk to you about psychology because oh, you yeah. know um, you're a psychology student. And you just and and of course I started off back mm -hmm. in '84 as a psychology student. I'd love to you to talk. Love to talk to you about that. Yeah, um, um, we will. Yeah, let's do that next time. Yeah, next time. Thanks a lot. Thank and, you. And we say. <laughs>